0: Give me an A. Ready? A- A- that really seems to work. I don't know why.
1: I think it just harmonizes us and brings us into the hive mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah, hive mind. Okay. So. Do you want to do it? Sure. Okay.
1: Hello and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn. I am your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Austin. And I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. This week, we are talking to the actress, Holly Goon.
0: Yes. And we're going to discuss a little bit about... To walk invisible. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, you know, sat Hannah down and made her watch this film the other day when it was too hot to do anything else. It's too hot in this city. Yeah. We are sweltering in the podcast hut right now. It's like 100 degrees. It's like 85 degrees. Wow. Wow. It was like 100 before. It was. So yeah. To walk invisible. Threw it on the TV for you. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of thoughts about this movie as a Bronte fan, but you, who is new to the Brontes, I can't talk. <laughs> Too hot. <laughs> Too hot to talk. Too hot to talk. <laughs> but what did what did you think?
1: Um. So I thought it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was really beautifully shot. I thought the performances were great. I was a little upset that um their father didn't speak with an Irish accent. Yeah. But like, is was that would have that would that have been too hard? What was that actor called? He's in Game of Thrones. Oh, I don't know. If he's in Game of Thrones, you should know. I should name. know, but I don't know anyone's name. You're the actor database. Oh.
0: Do you know who was also in Game of Thrones, I believe. Who? I just heard this, I didn't see it. My favourite. Roger Allen. Who was he in Game of Thrones? I don't know. Look it up. Okay, guys, you're gonna hear some typing. We're gonna have to look up. We some always Game have of Thrones.
1: to find up, uh, find out about Roger Allen, what that guy's up to.
0: You know, he's he's my favorite. Also, please tweet at him, Allen for Mister Bennett. Okay, that's the hashtag, right? I yeah, I mean yeah. Oh, Illyrio Montatas. Okay, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's fine. (laughs) He hasn't really been in it that much. Like, we can't talk about spoilers. For Game of Thrones? for a show that came out seven years ago. Oh, yeah, no. No. Seven years.
0: Anyway, we're not here to talk about Game of Thrones. We're here to talk about To Walk Invisible. So,
1: yeah, the lack of the Irish accent, not into. Mm -hmm. I also, I think the main thing that I really struggled with is that because I am new to the Brontes I didn't have what I think is this expected level of understanding about who they were what what was going on and what they did with their lives and so things like their trip to Brussels which obviously I know about because uh, Lauren spoke about it so well in one of our previous episodes it it was really hard because so much yeah. of it is focused on Branwell and Branwell's lives. And then there are these like little tidbits that are thrown in. Yeah. And it, it is hard to follow. Um, I love Emily Great. from that film. Amazing. Disappointed that no dogs were thumped, which I, I know it sounds weird, but, <laughs> but I think because we've talked, because I've talked about it so right. much, it, it's kind of, uh, there were, there were these things that I was expecting mm-hmm. to happen there were lots of little pieces of paper. Yeah, there were. Um, and then oh, so at the beginning, the little soldiers, are like a CGI, didn't care for any of the CGI Ooh, elements. Yeah. At your, like the I fire on top of the their fire heads. fire on top of their heads. I don't know what that's a reference to, but I didn't like it. The three sons, I didn't really understand. There were like lots of these kind of like artistic things mm-hmm. that just for me, I was like, I don't. I I just want to know about their lives. I just yeah I I I wanted something honest, and it I I don't know that that's what I got. Yeah, there was there is a a point that I'd like to say on it like genuinely just started to cry when mm-hmm. it happened, and I don't think I'm like hugely sensitive. I mean I cry at everything, so this is silly, but I think what it did achieve was it made the Brontes very real for me in a way that they haven't been before mm-hmm. i think because i've always had such a personal connection with jane austen's uh, stories and then her life growing up because through learning about it and going to the stately homes where mm-hmm. the adaptations were filmed um the bronzes were always just these these books that i hadn't read mm-hmm. by these women that i i wasn't interested in and so the scene where charlotte is just validated. She yeah. goes and she announces who she is, and there's kind of like this
0: moment And she goes to her publisher down in London. Yeah, yeah. And she's like and going to clear up a misunderstanding, and at that point, she is writing under the name Kerr Bell, so they don't know if Kerr Bell is a man or a woman, and no one is. It's
1: it's not. This is preposterous. She says no. Like this is who I am. This is acting. Alice, uh, Alice couldn't be with us, mm-hmm. and that's it. And it, I, I just
0: cried. I just cried when her pub, cause her publisher was just like, "Oh my god!" Every, you're everyone here. is so excited. Everyone has to meet you. We have to take you around London. You have to meet everyone. Everyone's gonna love you. Like this book is amazing. Like I, you don't like know how I amazing turned you
1: are. to Lauren with my little weepy eyes and I was like, "Did this really happen?" And she was like, "Yeah, it did." And I was like, "Okay, yeah, yeah it's fine. <laughs> I'm not crying. I've just there's something in my eyes.
0: It is nice that she got that validation, like in her lifetime. It's something yeah. that Jane did not. Get
1: yeah, I just thought like there was just so much that wasn't explained. I, that I think yeah. I just there there is a knowledge level there. Um, so maybe listen to a few of these podcasts again before you watch it if you haven't, because I do think Lauren does a good job of. And I I felt very lucky that Lauren was next to me because when stuff didn't make sense, and every now and then someone would
0: turn up and I'd be like, who the heck is that? Yeah, is it that? was I, it was hard. I mean, I'm glad that it was made. And I really am a yeah. big fan of Sally Wainwright, and I really love Happy Valley. And um, I think she was the right writer director for the job. But um, I think you know it should have been a miniseries. I don't think you can condense everything into two hours. Not when there's there's not the when three there's three women women and. And Branwell. And then I wasn't quite sure what they were trying to do with Branwell. If they were like, okay, we're going to use Branwell as a device to tell these women's stories. Except that just makes it completely focused on Branwell. And I know there's a lot of things happening this year with Branwell. A lot of sort of like um, courses and sort of like, you know, uh, conferences that are focusing on Branwell and his work. And he, you know, we give him a lot of crap on this podcast. He was talented in his own right. But I do think that... um we need to really pay attention to to these three women, especially Anne, who's been just overlooked for forever. Um, why are we fo- so focused on the, the man in their life? You know, like, yes, he was an influence, but yeah. please do not discredit what these women did. Like, I I felt like it was a biography about Branwell. Um, I felt like I got to know him much, much more than I got to know Charlotte or Emily or Anne. And I feel and ultimately...
1: Anne, least of all. I felt yeah. Emily comes across very well mm-hmm. um, in in this, like, I, Emily seems great.
0: Yeah, her character comes across. Yeah. I don't really know anything about her Any. life. life. Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, they really didn't talk about their teaching like I would have loved to have gotten some scenes of um and teaching do it Hannah do it she's got to sneeze guys she's got to sneeze <laughs> <laughs> but like um you know like I would have liked to have seen maybe a little like a couple scenes that were like inspiration for Agnes Gray her you know actually teaching and working as a governess um I would have liked to have seen something in Brussels um, I know time is a factor, I know money is a factor, but I just feel like it was a movie about Branwell and I really want to know why. Like, I'm just like, why?
1: <laughs> and you know what's really interesting as well? I'm very opinionated and I I, I don't think it's my um, best feature, but mm-hmm. I will give an opinion on things that I don't always know about. Mm-hmm. And as you're going to hear in this episode, Lauren says, oh, to walk invisible, it's like... It's all about, um, uh, there's not enough about Brussels. And then I come in and I'm like, well, you know, they can't, maybe this is the story that they needed to tell and this is okay. And then we need like more stuff rather than this being different. And actually having watched it, uh, there they're just, they're just needed to be more about the age women. Like yeah. I'm wrong. I'm wrong when I talk <laughs> about this later on in the episode. So just, I've seen it now. Now I've I know. have seen it now.
0: Now you know. Um, yeah, I just... But I the would performance, recommend it. I would, Yeah, I absolutely. I'm really, really happy that it exists. It is a beautiful piece of cinema. I, I can't wait to go to the Parsonage. It, yeah. You know, it really makes me want to go there. And the performances are absolutely fantastic, like across the board.
1: Yeah, except they CGI'd the tiny soldiers to move. And now <laughs>
0: how? How
1: am I meant to go and look at the soldiers? Because they come alive. Like they, yeah. they come alive and the children are screaming. They the are children are screaming.
0: screaming. They are. Screaming children. The Tiny soldiers. Is, tiny books. It's going to be too much. It's going to be just a place of nightmares for you. I love it. I'm very excited about it. <sighs> I know. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, if you guys have seen it, um, please just, you know, tweet at us. Let us know your thoughts. I'm curious to know where you stand on it. Again, I thought the performances were so fantastic. I just really want to know more about them. And then, you know, it just sort of ends, which is fine because it's it's really hard. Like, where do you end? I mean, everyone dies. It's all sad. Like, Charlotte oh my gosh. dies. Yeah, because I pregnant. actually, I didn't know the yeah. circumstance
1: because we we haven't talked about how anyone's died in the podcast yet. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying not to look anything up because I don't want to spoil it for myself. And we watched Walk Invisible, and it, it's heartbreaking. Like, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Branwell kills them. <laughs> <laughs> he kills him. Oh, I mean, he doesn't, don't take, like, I mean... Not the, literally. They get, one, Emily gets very ill at Branwell's funeral, yeah. and then she gets tuberculosis. And then, am I, should I say this? I mean, I mean yeah. it happens. It happens. And then Anne dies, too, from the same thing. Yeah. And then Charlotte dies later on. But they don't yeah. even tell you how Charlotte dies. It's like she's still alive in <laughs> The Parsonage.
0: That's right. Mm. It's true. If you work at The Parsonage and you listen to this podcast, and I suspect there might be one or two of you because you follow us on Twitter, will you please let us know if Charlotte's there? I don't want to. Just go, please tweet at me, Charlotte. at bonnets at Dawn. Please tell me. Is she there? Yeah. They should have like a seance at The Parsonage. That would be a great event. I
1: bet that has happened. I don't want to go to that. I don't want to be involved
0: in it. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I kind of do, but I kind of don't. <sighs> All right. So anyway, this week on the podcast, we talked to the lovely Holly Gorn. You already said that. Um, We're going to go ahead and jump into this interview. Enjoy the interview, you guys.
1: Holly, is your surname sp- uh, pronounced Gorn? Yes, it okay, is. Okay, yeah. perfect. So... Holly Gowan is an illustrator and actress from Oxford, England. She has appeared in theatrical adaptations of Austen novels and one play about the Brontes, which converted her to Team Bronte for life, especially Team Anne. Yeah. Oh, that's why you made me read it. Yeah, exactly. You're a monster. (laughs) She's lording it over me because I am 100% out and out Team Austen. Oh my goodness. Although I'm reading Jane Eyre at the moment. I don't know. I've got feelings. But. Yeah.
0: And I actually, I have a theory too, that I think Anne is the best Bronte to like send over to an Austin fan and bring them over, to be honest.
2: Oh, she's a gateway
0: Bronte. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What does that mean? Well, when you read <laughs> Tenant of Wildfell Hall, I think you will then find out. <laughs> <laughs> so now what was your like first point of contact with Austin and Bronte? So let's, you know, let's get a feel for if you're just maybe like, you know, just even if you have a little percentage, a tiny percentage in Team Austen.
2: Oh, I definitely do. So I think I didn't come to the Brontes until much later in life. And I think it was, I definitely probably discovered them. Whereas I think especially growing up in the UK with such a strong, um, like literary heritage and, and part of, um, and Austen so deeply sort of woven into that, that I can't really think of a time when I really wasn't aware of Jane Austen. Sure. Especially, I mean, everyone knows the story of Pride and Prejudice, I think. Yeah. So, um, I can't remember the sort of the first time I actually properly encountered her. Um, but actually I have an awful confession is that I've never read one of her books cover to cover, Oh, which seems really like a terrible thing to admit, even though I've performed in plays of them, mm-hmm. I've, um, I've just never sat down and actually read one, which is probably like, you know, a big mistake on my part. Um, but I have, I mean, I've read definitely lots of different parts of them and, um, and watched many many film adaptations right
1: from from the adaptations which is your favorite one
2: oh that's a really good question if, yeah um, if, if
1: there was one that you think you were like you were going to sit down and read which would it end up being
2: um i think well i think i'd like to read emma now but because i know it so well mm-hmm. um i think also um I guess, I mean, it's probably, I probably would actually like steer clear of Pride and Prejudice because I feel like I, I already know so much about it. I can't imagine what I'd learn from the novel, if that makes sense.
0: It is a good, like, I do read it every year. I will say oh, this. Really? <laughs> I do discover a little thing every year. In fact, um, I don't know, last night on the podcast, I was talking about, you know, some, some weird details in the book that like just finally struck me last night where I was like, hey, wait a minute, what the hell is up with this?
2: oh that's good yeah I'm sure like that's the thing is I think also the fact that I haven't read any of them I think I don't properly have an appreciation of how nuanced Austen's characters are in her writing which I suppose you could only really get from reading
0: it's true it's true now um which Austen roles have you done on stage
2: so when I was um younger the last thing I ever did when I used to youth theater was I played Elizabeth Bennett in Pride and Prejudice oh oh so that's a big one. Yeah, as a 17 year old, this was I was like, this is the highlight of my acting career. <laughs> and it was like a dream come true for me. So I am um, very, very fond memories of that. And then last summer, I, um, with my current theatre company, I performed as Harriet Smith in Emma. Oh, nice. That would be a very... fun role. Yeah, I feel oh, like that's fun. a good fun one. Yeah. I think as well, like, my associations with Emma now are that, like, I think less about the actual plot of the novel and I think more about what went on, like, on stage just in our production. So I always think, oh, yeah, Emma's the one where, like, we created a hilarious backstory about Emma and, and Harriet having this, like, deep r- romantic tryst and also Harriet eats lots of cake, which is what happened <laughs> on stage. So What scene does
0: Harriet eat lots of cake in?
2: One we had it when... um. Emma and Harriet were visiting um Miss Bates. Okay. She, she served them some cake and it was sort of this vi- like um visual gag ongoing where um all the other ladies were sort of politely and it's when they meet Jane Fairfax for the first time mm-hmm. and all the other ladies are sort of politely nibbling and Harriet who's apparently very hungry or just quite impolite is kind of shoving her face with um with fruitcake which was I mean how was at that first, to do? Was fun, but then two <laughs> weeks into the run I never wanted to look at another piece of fruitcake again so
1: yeah exactly I, actually, I think that's a really clever um reading of Harriet's character because she is on a surface level like Emma is completely besotted with the idea that she's very genteel and she's yeah. got this history and then you can like visually just be like this just isn't the case like she isn't on a societal level with these women like emma is deluded right and you can just show that with just her smashing chocolate uh fruit yeah. cake into her mouth so yeah, yeah. Oh, i love definitely. that
2: yeah and i think also it was quite fun being harriet because she definitely won the audience over yeah because of that i think you kind of just by being that kind of silly and that kind of fun with it it just everyone was kind of on her side by the end mm-hmm. so that was nice
0: Um, How about Lizzie Bennet? Any, uh, any, because like that is actually maybe because she's the heroine and you've got a lot of Lizzie Bennet feelings, Hannah.
1: (laughs) I I was getting really annoyed with her last night when we were watching the films. I was like, ah, Lizzie, you're so, you're so smug. But, um, yeah, I mean, was your was your Elizabeth Bennet a smug Elizabeth Bennet?
2: <laughs> oh, I, I think so, judging by just how naturally smug I was as a 17-year-old. <laughs> I imagine she came across as, as pretty smug. Um, but I, I remember as well, like, I think it was something that I, for some reason, without having really read the book properly, I, because I'd watched... I was really, really dedicated to watching Pride and Prejudice in many different formats. Mm -hmm. So for some reason it was a, it was a character I felt like I just innately knew and um, didn't end up doing very much preparation for it because I like, yeah, I feel like I just kind of initially was just like, okay, I understand her from the get-go and and kind of went with it.
0: Yeah. That's the thing about Lizzie though. She is like very universal. Yeah. And everyone does, most people. I do. I do feel like I relate to her sort of the most out of of Austin's characters, but um, Hannah does not feel that way. No,
1: really, I, I relate most with Anne
0: Elliot. <laughs> and I relate least with Anne Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: I think so. the thing about Lizzie is that especially as a modern reader, she's, um, I, you know, she's outspoken and she's sort of, she's witty and that's, those are things that we really prize now, so...
0: Yeah, yeah, and that had to be fun on stage, just sort of like oh, the back and forth with Darcy. Yeah,
2: you got to do a lot of like, yeah, a lot of sassy exchanges, a lot of side eye. Yeah. That was fun.
0: How was your Darcy?
2: Oh, he was lovely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you have to say that too. I, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really was. I mean, so it was, um, as I say, it was like a youth theatre thing and he was a guy I'd acted with for years and it, okay. was, it was very good. It was, I think it, I'm glad that it was um, someone I knew.
0: Right. So there's actually a little bit of chemistry there. So that's always good.
2: Yeah. Oh, definitely. But then it was also quite awkward because we were like, like kind of shy teenagers. Friends. And they were like, yeah. oh, I think you want to do a stage kiss. And we were like, oh, no, no, God, no. Unless you want to. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I keep being really, because like in Jane Eyre, they're making out all the time. I'm in shock <laughs> because no one ever kisses in Jane Austen books. And so right, I'm reading yeah. it and I'm like, wait a second. Ooh, these smooching. guys are, these guys are kissing.
2: Yeah. I yeah. think it's just because there's, there's not much to do out on the Moors. <laughs> so yeah, you just true. To make out. true. Yeah.
0: So now, um, how did the Bronte play? Like how did that role come your, your
2: way? So it was the same theatre company and mm-hmm. they, um, I just actually bumped into someone who was who was i um, going to be directing it on the street? And she was like, "Oh, do you want the role?" And I was like, "Oh, yeah!" Without having looked into it at all. Oh, fantastic! And, yeah, so we did the play um, Bronte by Polly Teal, which was written, I think, in 2007. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it is a very good play, actually. I will, I will start by saying I really, really enjoyed performing it. Um, I wouldn't say her um, Polly Teal's presentation of Anne is especially sympathetic to Anne. Oh. I think she plays a little bit on, um, on other people's perceptions of Anne, on, like, the more popular opinion of her, which is a shame. Um, there was definitely one line where I had to say something along the lines of, oh, there's, there's, nothing, like, there's nothing like the sight of a buttonhole done exactly right. Mm. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> which is particularly inspiring and doesn't right. actually fit in with my image of Anne now. Right. But I, th- I came to love her, like, through the, through the research I did for the role.
0: Now, um, did you watch To Walk Invisible at all?
2: I did, yes.
0: I really like like that sort of, that's sort of my idea of Anne
2: a little bit. Yeah.
0: Is this sort of yeah, like peacemaker between the two of them and sort of constantly torn between Charlotte and Emily.
2: Definitely. So in real life, um, she definitely was the peacemaker. That's, I mean, you can kind of tell that from reading like her letters and reading, um, and also just the way that they interacted with each other. But actually as children, it was um Anne and Emily who were especially close and people used to describe them as being like twins.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And they were the ones who had um, their own little, um I mean, so Charlotte and Bramwell had their own world that they invented.
0: Oh, yes. And then, the juvenilia. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> and then um Charlotte and sorry, so Emily and Anne had their own as well, which was called Gondol where they um enacted and like i also think what's really interesting is if you without going into extraordinary amount of detail if you look at the differences between um charlotte and brownwell's worlds and um anne and emily's it speaks a lot about their characters Mm -hmm. so um charlotte and brownwell used to there were loads and loads of wars people were always having affairs it was all very sort of um like sort of over the top and, and and melodramatic and um that sort of didn't a lot of the people in um in gondol um emily and anne's world were sort of like there are a lot of like strong interesting women who were like sort of ruling over their countries and it seemed a lot more um even though they were younger it seemed a lot more sort of like my my idea of good entertainment at least
0: yeah for sure yeah i kind of think um anne was the most sophisticated of the bronte writers to be honest with you
2: Oh, I definitely agree with you.
0: And um, I can't wait for Hannah to read some. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to love it. Did you... So you went back and read, I'm guessing, Agnes Grey and all of her work? And, yeah,
2: yeah. I read... Um, I read... Well, I read a good selection of her poems. I don't think I read them all, though, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read Agnes Grey and The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. And I read them for the first time as well, because I'd read Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre in the past. And I did like The Brontes a lot, but I'd never really never properly explored Anne until this so
0: right right I mean there's this thing like Anne is just like this strangely forgotten third Bronte sister and I don't I don't quite know why so I don't know if you have any theories on this if you thought about it
2: oh I have a lot of theories about okay this. oh
0: good oh great okay
2: so I think the main reason one of the biggest reasons that Anne was forgotten is it's actually quite a deliberate reason is that Charlotte was actually not a very good sister and did not agree with um, Anne's writing at all, especially the tenant of Wildfell Hall. She actually, after Anne's death, wrote this um, biographical note where she um, talked about her sister's deaths as as Charlotte Bronte rather than as Cura Bell, Mm -hmm. uh, which was her pen name, and um, basically kind of dismissed their writing. Um, Not so much Emily's, she was always very much in awe of Emily's talent and when she describes Emily in this biographical note, she talks about um, what a fierce person she was and what a genius she was, basically, and how she was just, you know, a complete storm of a human being. And mm-hmm. then when she talks about Anne, she's quite dismissive, and she's like, oh, bless little Anne. Well, she tried writing, and it was it was okay, but she talks about the tenant of Wildfell Hall um, with a sort of great disdain and um, really didn't approve of it at the time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, yeah, it was just quite dismissive. And she actually... Um, Stopped it being reprinted initially as well, which is even though it was selling very well, even um, after Anne's death, um, she wouldn't allow for a next for so for another edition to be made initially. So it kind of fell out of um, fell out of publication for a while, which is also why people are less familiar with it.
0: Charlotte. Well, I have to wonder too, because like Charlotte was, I get the sense that Charlotte was very competitive. Oh yeah, with her sisters, <laughs> and I I feel like maybe she was threatened by Anne, uh we just had a, a bath versus Brussels taping oh, right. the other night and um really kind of got into like why did you know I know Anne had a job at the time but why like Anne should have gone to Brussels like it's just it's how strange it is that Charlotte and Emily went you it's know. weird
2: that Emily went definitely Emily yeah. hated leaving home
0: Yeah, and to leave home for six months and to, you know, study and speak in French, a language she did not know, like it just, you know, it, it seems more natural for Anne and Charlotte to go. But I do think there was sort of a power struggle between Charlotte, Emily and Anne, and Charlotte sort of wanted to be closer to Emily than Anne was. And yeah.
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think she was probably very jealous of Anne's relationship with Emily because they were so close. Mm hmm. Um, there's also a lot of, um, as what I find really interesting about the Brontes' work um, is that because they all grew up, especially when they were children, when they were teenagers, they used to write for each other in their writings, you can kind of see as a conversation.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, for example, the tenant of Wildfell Hall is um, in many places a direct response to parts of Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights, especially Wuthering Heights. And Agnes Grey was actually written before Jane Eyre. And you can see the comparisons. Like, obviously, there were a lot of comparisons to draw because they're both tales of governesses. Mm -hmm. But you can see that they're almost kind of reprimanding each other for the mistakes they think they made in each other's writing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, now you're Um, interested. You're like, oh, (laughs) It's great, because once you read, yeah, if you read various Bronte novels, especially the ones that were written at the same time, you can see the direct comparisons and you can see them sort of gently correcting each other. Um, especially, I think, what stands out most to me in The Tenant of Wildfell Hall is that, compared to Wuthering Heights and, and um, Jane Eyre, the, um, in the way that Anne presents a relationship with a um, sort of very forceful, but possibly quite violent man, mm-hmm. um, Anne, out of all of them, Anne is the only one that goes. No, she definitely shouldn't have ended up with him. Right. Yeah.
0: Now, um, how much is uh, Branwell a character in that?
2: <sighs> He's Brownwell. quite a large character in it. Is um, he? Yeah. Well, basically as well, because I think also that's another thing I should have yeah mentioned about their um, their work being in conversation with each other. It's also like a direct response to what was going on in their home life. Obviously, yeah. you mentioned To Walk Invisible, which is which depicts quite. Um, quite explicitly them dealing with Bramwell's addictions
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and seeing him deteriorate. And um, The Tenant of Wildfell Hall definitely has written, you can you can see that's why it's so sort of chillingly depicts what it must be like to see someone dissolve into an addiction. Right. It's because that's exactly what Anne experienced with Bramwell. And this is also very much played upon in the play. It, um, it actually, there are moments when um, the girls um, like the sisters speak to their own characters mm-hmm or as their own characters in certain scenes in each of their novels. And um, the dialogue between um, these like strong, violent men and Bramwell is often sort of mixed up and and, um, and repeated by different characters in different places, which makes it clear that they're drawing on real life.
0: Okay, that is interesting. Okay, I really wanna get a copy of this play and read it.
2: Yeah. Oh, definitely, it's, it's also a good play just to read cover to cover, it's really yeah. interesting.
0: I um I, I I will say like my big my strongest criticism of To Walk Invisible is just like how much of a character Branwell was. Um, I feel like there was times where we focused a little too much on. His, I mean, you know, his addiction is mentioned repeatedly, and then there's sort of this like, oh, by the way, Charlotte and Emily went to Brussels, and I'm like, okay, that's kind yeah. of a big thing. It's kind of a we, we should like yeah. talk about that.
2: I feel like there should be like a whole play or a whole a whole you know that's a whole something dedicated to just their time in brussels
0: yeah for sure i it, it, it needed a series too i mean the brontes actually like had interesting lives like i feel like we could have done oh yeah we could have done six episodes there's you know there's no reason just for one movie guys yeah <laughs> but like that that can be a separate thing right
1: like the i think the issue is when we have Uh, Authors and also you're trying to make a movie talking about three people's lives in one movie. Yeah. And so like maybe that movie didn't need to be a series. Maybe that movie was fine, but there should also be a series. Like we've got Becoming Jane, which is nonsense, and we've got Miss Austen Regrets, (laughs) which is you know like marginally better, but like that's two two biopics and like countless documentaries Mm -hmm. about her. Um. And so I think she is like she's one person. She's a bit more accessible because of how many yeah. adaptations there have been of her work. So maybe if we had as much of that with the Bronzes, you could explore it a bit more. But like, go the whole going away to Brussels thing—that's like a whole other story,
0: right? It so. is. It is. It just deserves like more than a throw throwaway line, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think. In in my in my opinion, I just feel like maybe that's <laughs> just what the film's about, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Uh, so now, what kind of research did you do for Anne?
2: Um, so my, my initial research was um, was reading both of her books and, and poetry, mm-hmm. um, which was, I mean, so I think especially the thing that I found most helpful, especially since I was learning through excessive Googling about Anne and through reading the play, um, was reading Agnes Grey was really interesting for me, especially since I read it first. And the whole reason behind that was just because Anne wrote it first, so I thought mm-hmm. it would make sense. Um, But it was very sweet, especially as, like, Ruta-like Anne Moore. It felt like reading Agnes Grey feels very much like reading her inner thoughts. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, And in in a quite, like, heart-wrenching way towards the end, when you kind of, she gives Agnes, I hope I'm not spoiling it for you, she gives Agnes a happy ending. And you kind of think, oh, but that's, it's not even an extravagantly happy ending. It's not like, you know, unicorns are flying around and the world is a magically great place. It's just a very quietly, peaceful, very nice ending to a book. And it's in be like that's that's all Anne wanted out of life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's she wasn't sort of she wasn't like Charlotte. She wasn't massively ambitious. I think she had uh, my sense, which I also worry that I'm putting too much of myself into Anne. But I think um, <laughs> one of the things that I one of the senses I got from her from reading her book is that she wasn't about sort of personal glory. She was almost like she'd rather be. Um, you know, like a cog in a great machine working towards the greater good and making the world a better place rather than, you know, going off and becoming a massive famous author. Right.
3: Oh, (laughs) Anne. Maybe
1: she's my new favourite. Charlotte sounds like a bit of a cow.
2: I know I, I have a lot of feelings about Charlotte that I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to be biased against her but um
0: it's hard I um although I have to say there's a lot of things about Charlotte that I like see myself in. I'm like oh yeah I'd do that yeah me too
2: <laughs> I think also well, it must have been really difficult for all of them that's why I think it's interesting when you talk about the focus put on Bramwell in in the film adaptations and in plays and stuff is that Even though the three of them were achieving so much and were such interesting characters, a lot of the attention still goes to him because he was like the only son. And it's apparently so tragic that he had all this promise and that just completely went to waste. And sort of, you know, you just see like this thing that's weirdly celebrated is this like floundering artistic genius in a man. Um, Whereas his sisters are just much more practical and get on with it and are like churning out books. And yeah, yeah. um, not as, not as impressive and not worth talking about. Which Put is four
1: people in a room. One of them's a man. Doesn't matter what the other people do.
2: Like, <laughs> yeah, he could just sit man. there and not exactly. say anything the whole exactly. time.
0: <laughs> Still important. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's my beef.
1: Bloody Branwell.
0: <laughs> I mean, we talk about it a lot on the podcast. We talk about Branwell a lot, mostly because I'm just so annoyed with him.
1: Yeah, he yeah. usually just oh, comes yeah. up and we're like, oh, Branwell, stop it. Just stop
2: There's it. There's a lot of Branwell bashing going on backstage during the play as well.
1: What oh, was good. the guy who played him. Branwell
2: like? <laughs> what was the guy who played Branwell like? Was he? Oh, he was an excellent actor. He was very good. Um, his performance of Branwell, I think, also was was sort of spot on. I think he played it with this hint of even when Branwell got older, he still had this kind of um, this kind of petulance about him that was quite okay, child. Yeah. Good. Good. And yeah, this this sense of entitlement, which we were like, yeah, makes sense, Branwell. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, I hope he um looked, as Branwell has described, which is about five three, with like the red pompadour to just give him extra height, you know, about <laughs> three inches of hair.
2: Unfortunately, he did not have a red pompadour. Oh. I think I feel like we we didn't have the budget for that sort of convincing wig. Oh, sure, sure. Um, he did have really delightful glasses, though. Okay,
0: good. Good, good, good. Yeah, they
2: they looked perfect. As soon as he put them on, we, we it was transformed. It was amazing.
0: <laughs> good glasses and a sense of entitlement. I think that'll yeah, that'll that take you far in that me, character, like, to be honest. <laughs> so.
2: Yeah, it was it was oh, very yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. What were the
0: costumes like?
2: um They were they were really wonderful, actually. I had a dress that was actually for the first time in a play I had a dress that was made for me,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, which was very cool. And it was um it was lovely. Yeah, it was, it, I think also we all. Um, all the, sorry, the other sisters and I just sort of fully committed. We did um, all of our rehearsals wearing corsets oh,
3: okay. and most of them
2: in petticoats, and then obviously performed in them. And that gives you such immediately, like everything feels a bit more heightened because right. <laughs> you are so tense and breathing's just that little bit harder. And it also gives you that sense of, they, you know, the extreme discomfort that they must have been in constantly.
0: Right, mm-hmm. for sure. And then, like, you know, can you imagine being in that corset and then, like, writing those tiny books, Hannah? Nice. Okay. <laughs> Hannah <laughs> does not care for the tiny books.
2: Oh, no. I quite like the tiny books.
0: <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> so now I know you went up to the parsonage as part. As, yeah. Was that part of the research with the other cast yeah, members? or, we, or okay? Um,
2: they they treated us to a cast trip which was lovely. Um so we all went up there and as a cast sort of toured it together. We actually we got a um tour of the we had sorry, we had a tour of the parsonage, but we also had a private talk in the basement. Oh. And a bit of a tour around the town as well, which was brilliant. Um, especially the talk, we learned a lot of things that I think I mean, just talking to the staff there, you learn so much anyway. Mm-hmm. And they talked about loads of really interesting things. Like I think she mainly focused on Charlotte, um, which I thought was quite unfair. But, yeah. Um loads like learned loads of really interesting facts and like lots of little things that we found really interesting um and quite funny like for example when they were children they had um grandma was given a box of toy soldiers and they each took one out of the box and named it and um ann named hers waiting boy which i found very very sweet yes
0: that's right i was trying to remember on our ju- ju- juvenilia podcast i was like what did Anne name it i didn't like,
2: remember uh, <laughs> 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 i know, i've it's got like forgotten
0: Anne's jokes. syndrome <laughs> Waiting. yeah
2: lots of things like that and um and it was just amazing i mean just going into the rooms and like sort of standing in their kitchen is is quite bizarre because it's it's so much smaller than you think it's going to be
0: oh no and they have like the
2: original um the original table which they did all their writing on which is just Mm -hmm. amazing apparently emily's name is carved in there somewhere as well which is fascinating
0: nice Nice. i can't wait to see it i know me too what was the town like
2: um, well, I mean, so the day we visited, quite grey and gloomy, um, but it's also, stuff, so stuff that's amazing about the town is the proximity between, um, for example, the Black Bull, which is where Bramwell did most of his drinking, mm-hmm. is honestly a stone's throw from the parsonage. Like, it's like, I think it's a two-minute walk.
0: Oh, God, he couldn't even, like, go to a further pub.
2: Exactly, yeah. And then, like, across the, across the square from the Black Bull is the shop where he used to buy his laudanum, like, the um what's it called the apothecaries yeah so um you know he was all of his influences like it was just right there on his doorstep Mm -hmm. a really funny fact I learned about Bramwell when I was reading up is that um he was actually for some reason he was the secretary of like the town also maybe the treasurer of the town um temperance society oh Oh, god (laughs) yeah hilariously and then would just go to the pub on the way back from temperance society meetings that guy Really? I know the cheek of it.
0: <laughs> now, how was the um how was the play received? Like how do you think do you know, did you talk to people afterwards about the brontes And like do you feel like people learned new things or what was like sort the, their reaction?
2: Um, it was actually I would say the play itself was was very well received. We had a couple of rave reviews and um the last week of our run was entirely sold out, which was
0: you know, really,
2: really cheering for us. And um, I actually spoke to several people afterwards. A lot of people wanted to know more about Anne, because it turns out most people hadn't heard of her. And oh um, god,
0: I had oh. at least um,
2: at least one or two people afterwards tell me they were going to read her books, which I was thoroughly delighted with, um, because I really do think. I mean, I obviously I am biased, but I think she's the best Bronte, mm-hmm. and I think her books are the most um, relevant still. And we're back in the podcast hut.
1: How's it going, Hannah? I, I mean, I, I'm i opinionated. It's you awful. Are.
0: It's true, you are. I just need to be quiet. No, I mean, that's good, right? I mean, we don't want someone who's just going to be quiet on a podcast. <laughs> that would be terrible. That would be terrible listening. <laughs> Listen a
1: lot of empty audio.
0: Yeah, just you just like...
1: If, yeah, okay, so if anything, more knee-jerk reactions and
0: sweeping statements about things I don't understand, yeah? That is how the American media, like, runs. Like, that's... You've just figured out, like, how we do I've things in this country. i learned something from
1: my trip. Yeah. i learned something.
0: Exactly. Oh, my God, you get a gold star. Amazing. Yay! So, um, thank you guys for joining us for this episode of Bonnets at Dawn. If you want to find us on Twitter... You can go to at bonnets at dawn. Crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's also at bonnets at dawn on Instagram. Indeed. And if you want to pick up a copy of our book, and I'm sure you do, go to Unbound, Austin versus Bronte. Uh, We really would appreciate it if you'd pledge anything that you can to our campaign so we can keep going with this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Be great. We'd love you for it so um oh also we're on iTunes
1: yeah oh my gosh we're on iTunes now
0: I know gotta uh, say that oh we have so many things to plug guys uh, uh, oh excitement a horrible noise <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh download us on your iPhones and other devices <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about other phones I only know about iPhones
1: I only listen to stuff on iTunes so I might start listening to this podcast Oh, good. Good, oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. I do it every week anyway.
0: Um, So, yeah, you can subscribe and uh, you can, you know, rate us. Give us a nice little review. Five stars only. Yeah. Just say, like, love it. Great.
1: Team Bronte. Team Bronte for life. Hashtag wretched bondage. Hashtag justice for Jason. Hashtag, um.
0: Austin versus Bronte. Austin versus original. Bronte. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening and join us next week when we talk at you about the Austins and the Bronte's. I always say Austins, sorry. Every time. There's only one. Mm. Bye! Bye. Bye.